Dear listeners, Sairam and greetings from Prashanti Nilayam. Welcome to our radio program, Afternoon Satsang. This is a segment of Radio Sai's Thursday Live, hosted by Prem and Arvind at 12.30pm Indian Standard Time on Thursdays, only on Asia's stream of Radio Sai Global Harmony. The discussion is on the Ramakatha Rasavahini, a book written by Swami, and today's episode was first broadcast live on 20th August 2015. Have a listen please. Welcome dear listeners to this week's Afton Satsang. As always, this is Prem from Team Radio Sai. With me is Arvind. We offer our most humble panams at Bhagwan's Lotus Feet. And as this week, we are going to continue our Ramakatha Raswaini. As always, let us begin by offering our most loving salutations at the Lotus Feet of that form which our dear Lord took in the Trita Yuga as Lord Rama by ruminating over that beautiful and sweet name of Lord Sri Rama. Shri Raghavam Dasharatatmajamapramayam Sitapatim Raghukulanmayaratnadipam Ajanubahum Sairam, dear listeners, welcome to the sweet nectar story of Lord Shri Rama. We begin by offering our humble pranams at the lotus feet of our beloved Bhagwan, who is ever present with us wherever we are, whatever time of the day it is. We also offer our salutations to Lord Hanuman, who is ever present whenever the glory of his Lord Rama is sung. The last time we had stopped the Ramkatha Rasavahini at a critical juncture, the turning point, the point at which the aircraft of Rama's mission takes off, possibly, if we can state it that way. 
So, Rama has a frank discussion with Mother Sita. And this discussion, we are privy to it thanks to Bhagwan revealing it to us because it is not noted in any other Ramayana so far. So, last time we went into details of the discussion between Lord Rama and Mother Sita where they both decide that for the sake of the cosmic drama to continue, they must suspend their divinity. And so, Mother Sita is requested by Lord Rama to place herself actually in the divine fire, Agni. And then Rama also states that he too will put on the emotions, the the sorrow, the joy, the excitement, the thrill and everything just like an ordinary human. And all this discussion happens in the absence of Lakshmana who has actually set out to get some fruits and water for his brother and sister-in-law. So once this discussion is complete, both Rama and Sita have agreed in principle to act out their parts in the divine drama so that one of the major components of Rama's mission, because we had already discussed that Rama's mission cannot be limited to just the killing of Ravana, but killing of Ravana was one major component of his mission. So in order to achieve that major component, both have agreed to act out human roles. And once this decision is taken, it is at this point in time that Lakshmana enters the hermitage. He comes with the fruits and water. And Rama and Sita have both agreed to act in that manner that is necessary to annihilate Ravana. And so they partake of the fruits that Lakshmana has brought and a pleasant discussion ensues where they discuss how wonderful it is to be in such sylvan surroundings, how nice it is to be surrounded by nature, the beauty of nature, the grandeur of nature, the peace that exists. And it is almost like a wonderful setting is being made by Swami as he writes because they are talking about the serenity, peace, beauty and safety when all these four are going to get shattered in very soon now because Ravana and Maricha have arrived at this hermitage at Panchavati. So, we had even discussed the dialogues between Ravana and Maricha in our previous Ramkata Rasavaini rendering where Maricha has now become a devotee of Lord Rama having uh, tasted Rama's valor, might, strength and divinity. He tries to convince Ravana against this foolish stratagem of kidnapping Sita but Ravana issues the death threat to him and Maricha feels that it is better to go along with Ravana's plan because if he goes along with Ravana's plan, he'll be blessed with a death at the hands of the Lord and if he doesn't, he will be condemned to a death at the hands of Ravana which he does not want and therefore Maricha agrees to carry out Ravana's evil plan, nefarious plan and so Ravana and Maricha are waiting outside as this discussion is happening inside the hermitage while they are partaking fruits and water. Right. After this, uh, Swami writes about how Maricha converts himself into that golden deer and even as he is proceeding towards the hermitage to perform you know, his part in that ploy which Ravana had made, Swami says that he starts thinking how fortunate he is that you know he is going to die looking at Rama, he is going to die He's going to see those three people who are so enchanting and beautiful and, you know, those kind of thoughts. He himself is surprised that he's got this sort of a beautiful end to his life in spite of, you know, he's been one of the Rakshasas. But, uh, you know, many times when you look at it, you sometimes feel that can somebody who's so evil, who's like a Rakshasa and we speak about how he's along with his brothers trying to disturb the, the Rishis who are trying to do Yagnya, they're trying, he's spoiling their lives. That's how that Subahu and Maricha are attacked by Rama. 
can they have such noble intentions can they have such noble feelings i think many times when you look at these scriptures whenever we talk about a human being we always talk about the mind which we usually refer to you know the thoughts which we refer to the thinking which we refer to is the most superficial thing in a human experience that is only pertaining to the memories which we have in the past 30 40 years of our life hmm. but there is something which is more subtler than that you know when you do an hypnosis you bring it out from the subconscious mind sometimes the subconscious mind actually has these things which are the driving force for your decisions and in the conscious mind in the subconscious mind but you don't it acts as the driving force right. for what is in our conscious what mind what is in the conscious mind you don't realize that you know the roots of this thought is actually based on this particular uh, event in our past life or something like that what in sanskrit we call as vasanas right vasanas the coloring of that mind which is kind of reflected in the working mind which we often refer to i think when swami says this, that paricha was happy that that trepidation it may be that he was really fortunate to realize that he was undergoing this kind of a fortunate end or it may be that subconscious mind which was eagerly rushing towards that beautiful destination or you know destiny which was placed before him it could be any of that and that's a very beautiful dialogue because you know in one moment that is again a point which you've always made the positive flavor that swami gives to the entire ramayana and you can see that even with the character of marichai here exactly because as you said what marichai is thinking when any other author writes about it it has to be about the external mind what you and me uh, when we do you know body language analysis when we read somebody's face the mind that we are reading is this external most superficial mind that you spoke about but swami has access to the innermost recesses of one's heart one's mind so that is probably the reason why a description of maricha given in the ramkatha rasavahini may not actually match the description given by other human authors because a human author at best will be able to see only the superficial mind and therefore there might be thoughts which are tainted by evil and negative qualities but swami sees what is deep below and deep below if a person is pure that is all and you know the beautiful thing is at the deepest level everything is absolutely pure so each avatar comes to clean up the different layers and the different what you can say coverings that make what is inherently pure appear impure so anyway as maricha puts on that golden deer and he walks close by mother sita sees the deer and it must be said dear listeners that swami again and again again and again keeps stressing that rama and sita are aware as to what's happening but uh, at the same time this is uh, sita acting it out and sita looks at rama and she says you know rama uh, you and lakshmana are busy in many things you know you plan out the day you do so many things most of the time i am left alone so when i am left alone there is a tendency that i may get bored at that time i will spend my time happily with a pet and what better pet than this beautiful golden deer and you know it's not as if only sita is enamored even rama and lakshmana are struck by the ethereal and surreal beauty of this deer they have not seen anything look so golden and so they are also struck by its beauty but it is sita who expresses a desire for the deer even as this is written by swami <laughs> you can see how swami keeps on reminding the reader that listen sita knows sita knows everything there is nothing that both rama and sita don't know but they have to enact it out and therefore with complete knowledge of what is happening it's almost like a drama actor or a movie actor he knows the script entirely he knows that in the end whatever he has lost to an unrighteous person he is going to get it back the hero knows it the actor knows it and yet when the actor loses something in the movie or in the drama he sheds copious tears 
So it is almost as if the director, that is Swami, he is telling the audience that don't worry, you are seeing the hero cry, you are seeing the heroine suffer, but none of this is real. The hero and heroine also know it. In fact, that is the truth. Actually, when we look at any movie, the hero and heroine know when you see the actor shedding tears, the actor is not actually suffering any sorrow, is not suffering any low or any depression. It is the role that demands that kind of acting and so they are doing it. The only difference between man and God is God is able to be an actor in the true sense, know the reality and just act out for the sake of the success of the play. Man gets so involved in the play that he feels that the play is real and therefore his sorrows and joys are also very real. So this reminder Swami keeps giving throughout and in this chapter itself that has been called the wily villain in the Ramkata Rasavahini. Swami emphasizes it at least four or five times to remind the reader that this is just an act and Rama and Sita are just play acting. Absolutely. In fact, uh, I think during the 96 discourse, Swami sings a beautiful song which says, Swami says that that is the prayer or that is the request that Mother Sita makes to Rama when she sees the deer. Mm -hmm. You should play that out. It's a very sweet little song Swami sings. It is like in Sita addressing Rama and Lakshmana in that. Ravana Nadna, Sirsava Hinchi, Bangaru Lediga Dharinchi, Aparnasarano Atu Yutu Tirutu Mutundari. Following the command of Ravana, Maricha has taken the shape of the golden deer, started moving around the hut there. Chuchindi Chita, Sita saw. Prema Galige, A Lady Yandu, Prananata Vedu Kundu. Prema Galige, ప్రణనాథాందు సీతా I love that golden deer. I really have got a desire to have it with me. Rama, please bring it. Sita, I really ask for any desire later. Likes or dislikes. Deceit or truth. Righteous or unrighteous. Sita must be satisfied anyway. So saying, he told Lakshmana and then he was after this golden day. He went and did what he is supposed to. Interestingly, after that clip, Swami completes the rest of the Ramayana in four sentences. (laughs) I mean, in the sense, Swami just says that in the next scene, Ravana comes and he takes away. On the way, he kills Jatayu. You know, that entire three chapters of probably Swami summarizes in four sentences. But a very beautiful Padyam where Swami is saying exactly that which you are saying that, you know, Swami is written in the Ramkata where she says that, can you bring that deer? I can spend my free time playing with that deer. And you know, when I was reading the Ramkata Rasavahini, The first thought that came is when Sita wants a deer. See, till now when it comes to food or water or any kind of help, it's actually Lakshmana who is doing it. You know, even if Sita wants anything, Lakshmana is fulfilling those desires. So I just felt, isn't it natural that 
Lakshmana be sent to get the deer. And if you read the Ramkatha Rasavahini, Lakshmana actually proposes himself. He says, oh yes, oh mother, you know, I will go and get the deer. But then Rama says, no, wait Lakshmana, that deer has to be brought back alive. We cannot kill the deer because... Sita wants it, so I will go. Now, you know, when I read it, I didn't feel so convinced with that reply. But I had no idea, Prem, that you're going to play this clip. But hearing this clip so nicely, so emphatically, Swami is stating, whether it is dharma or adharma, whether it is right or wrong, whether it is happy or sad, Sita has never asked anything from me. It's the first time she's asking something, so I will definitely fulfill it. And in the Ramkatha Rasamani, Swami again reminds, see, Rama knew that this is a drama. Sita actually has no desires. Sita also knows that she's supposed to have this desire for the sake of the completion of the mission. Another thought that comes at this point in time is that Sita is often considered as Prakriti or nature and Rama as Purusha or the Lord. We are convinced that the Lord always has our good in mind. The Lord is supremely benevolent, supremely compassionate, loving. We have to realize that even nature is like that. Prakriti is also like that. Even the desire that Sita encouraged, this desire for the golden deer, was in order to fulfill the goal of the Purusha or her Lord that is Rama. So, nature too embodies the love, the compassion, the magnanimity and the kindness that the Lord embodies and that is what is seen over here because even when Sita expresses her desire, it is not her desire that she is expressing. It is actually the Lord's desire. She is just an instrument of expression. And after this, of course, Rama goes after that deer and before that he gives instructions to Lakshmana. He tells him that you know very well how uh, dangerous this place is just some time back we had the attack by the Rakshasas so you better stay here don't leave her alone even for a moment you take care of Sita and let me go in get this deer and then of course after that it's a very beautiful the subtle uh, details which Swami gives Swami says that Rama runs after the deer and uh, the way Swami describes the way the deer runs away you know, Swami says that every now and then the deer turns back and looks at Rama and there is a certain amount of uh, love in that glance which Rama recognizes. And you know, he's, he's also smiling and going after it. Swami says that it's a beautiful scene where, you know, the devotee knows that his last moment is coming, but so lovingly he knows that probably I'm going to be alive for a few more minutes. In these few minutes, let me look at this Lord as much as I can. So even though the deer is running forward and trying to run away, it is all the time looking behind and looking at the person who is chasing. The description that Swami writes, actually when you read, at this point in time, I'm remembering it vividly because uh, it got linked with an experience. Mm -hmm. So, there is actually no feeling that my end is going to be near. This part where Swami describes is absolutely only about a lord and the devotee. I remember once having written a letter to Swami in which I wrote that, Swami, I am writing this letter. I had been a student for about three years. Mm -hmm. So, it was still early. So, I always felt that it's when you have a problem or when you have something amazing that has happened and you want to express your gratitude for that you write a letter. So, it was in quotes a normal uh, situation for me. So, nothing amazing to thank Swami about. Nothing problematic to seek uh, Mm -hmm. Swami's help. And yet, I wrote there that I am writing this letter Swami because not because I have got anything to thank for nor anything to ask for. It is just for the joy that I get when you take a letter from me. I am writing this letter only for that. There is no other intention. So, just for the sake of that joy, I had written that and I remember as Swami came for darshan, I was going on watching, is he coming near, is he coming near. He came near, he just didn't take my letter, he walked away. And you know, Brindavan, the darshan is different from Prashantinilyam. If you are sitting in a place and one Swami crosses by, it's not as if that he will not come again there. There is a chance that he may come again. Because it is uh, built in such a manner that Swami walks down and again walks back up. So, 
twice Swami passed by and both the time Swami didn't take the letter and I was, you know, going on waiting. And uh, finally, he had gone off to the other side of the gent seating and he was a good 10-15 meters away from me when he was passing by me. At that point in time, I remember he just stopped, he turned, he seemed to look at me from the distance and started walking straight towards me. He came and picked up this letter from my hand and went. I felt so thrilled when he took the letter and later I realized that Swami had fulfilled my desire in the most beautiful manner possible because I had written that I want you to take this letter for the joy that I get when you take a letter from me. And possibly I would have got joy when he, if he had come and taken the letter straight from me. But having made me wait like this and I'm so wanting that he should take the letter and in the end when I've totally given up I'm thinking that I don't think it's possible that he'll take. He comes and takes. My joy became manifold. When I was reading Swami's description of how the deer looks at Rama and Rama looks at the deer I was reminded of this experience because you know having read as to how Swami describes Maricha I feel that we are not worthy of being even called as Maricha you know and Maricha is supposed to be a demon and yet Rama's love is so much on Maricha in the similar manner Swami's love is so much on us and when I read that I just forgot everything else I forgot that it is the Lord annihilating the demon it felt for me like the love being shared between the Lord and the devotee and the devotee's devotion pouring forth through towards the Lord and that is the beauty of the Ramkata Rasavahini I don't think such descriptions are available anywhere and so this is how it is Maricha is going on seeing whether my Lord is coming or has he gone I hope he doesn't give up I hope he keeps coming behind me because this is my great good fortune where else you know the devotee runs behind the Lord here I am having the Lord running behind me I cannot have a fortune more blessed than this exactly in fact Swami makes that point when Maricha is contemplating because Swami says that he thinks that everybody has the opportunity and you know the blessing to follow the path which the Lord walks on but I am having this good fortune of having the Lord follow the trail that I leave and that's one of the things which he thinks of when you know he is thinking about his fate that he has to do what Ravana tells him to do and every time Rama is trying to capture the deer he is able to evade Rama and in the Ramkataraswani Swami writes that Rama finally picks up an arrow and that is a fatal arrow because Rama you know it is Ekapatni Eka Vak and Eka Bana that's I think I mixed up Kannada in that so it means one arrow one wife one word so every time Rama accomplishes whatever he has to with one arrow and he shoots it, it finds its mark. At this point in time, Prem, when I was reading, I was thinking, Rama set out to capture Maricha. Why on earth did he kill the deer then? This was a point that struck me and I was thinking and I felt that in itself shows that Rama was play acting, doesn't it? Because Rama has clearly said that I am going to go and capture this deer. In fact, that is the reason he tells Lakshmana that you should not go. But it is very evident that Rama has already decided to, you know, end the deer, kill the deer for reasons more than one. One is for the mission to proceed. Second is to liberate the soul. So I felt that this in itself is a very strong indicator to show that Rama is play acting because otherwise Rama never even in the slightest way seems to be violating the word he has given. Here he has given word to Sita that I will be capturing and bringing the deer but instead of capturing it he is shooting an arrow. Exactly and I think that is when Maricha's play starts where he starts shouting in the voice of Rama he calls out to Lakshmana and Sita. The interesting thing is when I was reading this part I was wondering this Maricha is supposed to be such a great devotee and he's anyway dying after he's been shot. Even at that moment if he had decided not to call out 
Lakshmana and Sita and complete the uh, you know the the plot which Ravana had Ramayana would have changed isn't it you know I think that's where it is clearly pre-planned and you know I'm just thinking imagine he had shouted Rama Rama <laughs> imagine that's what he could have even shouted out saying that you know Ravana is coming for you careful don't you know move out or be careful or something like that because anyway I mean he was not going to face the wrath of Ravana anymore unless there was something else to blackmail him with but I think that's why there are so many places like this where you can say that Ramayana could have taken a different turn I think the interesting thing which probably we should remember is even in our life we would always come across situations where we'll stop and think that had it happened a little differently had this not been done had this not been said if i had not had this fight if i had not you know given up on this at the end of the day when we all look back we should be able to see that there was a perfect pattern in which our life went and there was a perfect plan probably at that moment we did not realize it probably our minds were too small at that moment to realize it but i think those people who live more satisfied life or more fulfilled life are those who can look back at their life and say that yeah I can make out you know why certain things happened there's a place for why pain happened the way it happened there's a place for why I was cheated the way I was cheated I think that's where a fulfilling life comes but when we are going through life we are always thinking at a perfect life as a life which is fulfilling exactly Prem this is a very important point and I feel we should stress on it because you know that we did this satsang on the Mudhanali mayhem and one or two plies that we got was like Swami's physical departure in itself was so painful for us. We have not yet got over the trauma of that and why is Swami allowing such a drama to happen again and putting us to further trauma. I feel, uh, I don't know if the person who wrote that mail to us is listening, but if you are listening, I feel this explanation given by Brother Prem is so beautiful, so perfect that at the point in time when something is happening, it may look like everything is going awry, everything is going haywire. At such time, it helps to take a deep breath, calmly sit back and know that the Lord is in charge. He has planned everything. And later on, we will see that this kind of attitude even helps Lakshmana so much. We will see that. But before allowing you to speak again, Prem, I would like to just clarify on that point, which I myself raised as to why did Rama kill Maricha when he had gone to capture Maricha. The explanation that we gave is at a very divine level that Rama knows everything and you know it's for the acting and all that but even a human level I was just reading through the internet through different versions of the Ramayana some very interesting answers came up which was apparently Rama is trying his best to capture Maricha and uh, he is unable to capture because the deer is eluding him and Maricha realizes that now he is far away enough from the hermitage for Ravana's plan to work out and therefore in order to ensure the completion of the plan he begins to scream out Lakshmana and Sita mm-hmm. even in Rama's voice yes even before anything is done see the explanation as I said we gave was a divine one but from a human level explanation as the deer begins to scream out now Rama is surprised because which deer can speak he's sure that now this is not a golden deer it is actually a demon in disguise and that too it is imitating Rama's voice and you know the practical and supremely intelligent person that Rama is he understands the trick that is being employed here and therefore he immediately puts an arrow to his bow and kills Maricha on the spot because he realizes the repercussions of what is happening. What will happen if Sita or Lakshmana hear this call in Rama's own voice? You know, and therefore he shoots down the deer. But even in this human explanation, Prem, I feel there are elements of the divine plan in action because if Maricha's voice could travel till there, 
I feel after killing the deer, why couldn't Rama shout out, Oh, Lakshmana Sita, don't worry, I am fine. Just hang on there, right? right? But he didn't do it. So therefore, whether we look at the divine explanation, the way Swami has explained it, or even a human explanation, in either case, it's very evident that a divine master plan is in progress and one just has to sit back and enjoy it and relish every little detail that happens after that. Exactly. In fact, uh, one of the descriptions we gave of Dashratha in the beginning was that he shot an arrow all the way from Mahayodhya to Lanka, Lanka yes. to lock the the doors of the kingdom there. I mean, Ravana could have shot an arrow saying that he's fine. He's you know, it's not Rama should have. Rama, sorry, could, Rama have. could have shot an arrow saying that he's fine. I mean, there are so many. These are so many. In fact, uh, going back to the uh, idea which we started with initially, you know, where we said Ramayana is not just a story; it is something partly happening within us. And in that description, we said that Lakshmana stood for intellect. Maybe there is you know, a certain amount of message in that. Probably we can interpret it this way. It's not Swami's interpretation. It's not given anywhere. Maybe Swami is saying that the divine plan need not necessarily be known to the discriminating intellect. You know, the discriminating mind should choose between right and wrong, even though it does not see the future, even though it does not know the bigger plan. You know, many times when we ask, you know, when we are in trouble, we are praying to Swami, we need not necessarily know how it is going to pan out and how Swami is going to solve the situation. I think what is important at that time to believe that because there is a point where Lakshmana suddenly stops and says that, hey look, if these things are happening, just like how we said Rama could have done this or you know he could have indicated in such a way, where Lakshmana stops and thinks that you know there's so many things which Rama could have done, he has not done, so probably he's in control of the thing and probably this whole thing was meant to happen as planned by him. So similarly, I think probably in our life, our intelligence is supposed to play that role. Even though it does not see the entire picture, even though it does not see how grace is acting in its life, to believe all the time that there is a master who has his plan working and without knowing the repercussions, do what is right, choose what is right over what is wrong. Brilliant point and I really wish that we all take this into our lives. And as this cry is heard in the hermitage, meanwhile, Sita tells Lakshmana that, uh, oh, Lakshmana looks like Rama is in trouble. Once again, you know, Swami doesn't mince words to remind us that Sita knows it's not as if Sita is fooled. So she acts out her role. Well, she tells Lakshmana, I think Rama is in grave trouble. You should go and help him. Now, though, as you beautifully said, the intellect may not know what is happening actually, but there is some power in the intellect. Lakshmana says, Mother, you know, nothing can happen to Rama. I know that nothing can happen to Rama. It might sound as if Rama is in danger, but it can't be. I feel that is the thing, our role, our intellect also should play. And when I say this, I am saying this partially to even inspire myself, you know, because all of us with things happening and specifically if we take the Sai world, the Sai organization, when we see things happening, we may feel worried as to what is this Swami? Why are you allowing such things to happen? Just like as I said, our listener wrote a mail to us saying, why is Swami allowing this to happen? I think that is not a question that we should ask. I think what we should do is we should keep telling ourselves that, you know, Swami can't be wrong. And Swami is perfect and Swami is the most powerful force in this universe. Can two, three people, two, three things, anything for that matter, ever beat his power, beat his uh, love and, you know, defeat him in such a manner? It's just not possible. Just like Lakshmana was convinced that however bad it might seem, oh mother, nothing can possibly happen to Rama. Rama is fine and nothing is going wrong. It's absolutely fine. I feel in the same manner, we should also have that conviction to 
tell ourselves that you know however bad it might seem however sad it might seem everything is as per swami's plan swami is in control and it can never happen that something has been taken out of swami's control and we are all helpless because of that i think that is a lesson we should learn from the way lakshmana answers sita absolutely in fact you know swami in that description he says before the call could reach lakshmana sita starts reacting <laughs> it's almost like you know, she's waiting to play that role in play, <laughs> but for the cue she's waiting right exactly i know just a funny aside i remember we used to have this viva oc as part of the uh, you know bsc and msc things where invariably the teacher asking the questions we would have a oral uh, viva where you know the teacher would have a prepared list of 30 questions and probably the chapter is about 3 chapters or four chapters so you can't have more than that mm. that many questions about 30 questions and there were 15 20 students so by the time the 20th student comes he has kind of figured out what are the 30 questions in the list of the teacher <laughs> and i remember one of my classmates answering some of the questions even before the question was completed <laughs> and the teacher was saying at least wait for me to complete the question <laughs> i know you have figured out the questions by now it was almost like that you know that's what i says that even before the call of maricha could reach lakshmana and of course he was not going to react and before it could even reach sita starts reacting and i mean very beautiful the way lakshmana reacts with such surety he says that absolutely and he says that you know just sometime back we saw rama single handedly vanquishing 40 kara and dushana's army and mm. the entire army is there a possibility that anybody can harm i think this again is a lesson whenever we talk about difficult situations in life see when we go out to an elderly person an elderly devotee an experienced devotee for a counsel what we are actually trying to do is a kind of reassurance that probably he will give situations from his life when swami has saved him or probably from his knowledge where swami has solved situations these are all nothing but to calm the agitated mind where you know you know that something is going to happen till then don't get agitated and do something silly so you try to put experiences and you know give something for the mind to reflect upon i think similarly what exactly what lakshmana was trying to do he was saying that you know we are talking about rama don't you know that rama is capable of doing this don't you know that he has done this don't you know he has vanquished so many people this is again these are all methods for a devotee to appease their restless mind till they see the plan unfold sometimes but none of this seems to move sita she goes on becoming more harsh and more strong in her arguments she tells lakshmana what is this you have come to the forest for i thought you came to serve your brother and this is a time when your brother needs you desperately instead of helping him you are standing here she says you are allowing him to suffer whatever these are words that hit lakshmana's heart like an arrow like arrows but yet he remains steadfast in his resolve to obey his brother's command that is when you know sita throws in a barb of course as per her role it is not mentioned as such directly in the ramkatara mm-hmm. swami though swami hints towards it but in many discourses swami has narrated this where sita tells lakshmana i think i know why you are not going it's because uh, uh, you are eyeing me and uh, this is a nice opportunity for you because rama out of the way you think the coast will be clear for you to take me over and uh, when lakshmana hears this he is shattered because as we shall see later also and as we have seen till now the way lakshmana looks at sita is the way a son will look at his mother so lakshmana is unable to hear this and he is caught between the horns of the dilemma whether to obey the father or obey the mother 
I feel uh, this happens to many of us at our own homes also where sometimes we feel that what the mother tells and what the father tells are contradictory to each other and we don't know whom to obey well uh, lakshmana is exactly in that kind of a dilemma he doesn't know whether he should listen to rama's words or to sita's words but more like a you know immediate solution because rama's words are at least far away in time and far away in distance also sita's words are too taunting and too painful the creating barbs in his heart and therefore with a heavy heart lakshmana says mother sita i have been given the duty to protect you but i shall protect you with something that is as powerful as me which is as powerful as me meaning which will do a job as good as me because this is the mantra for protection i shall draw four lines which are charged with mantra around this entire ashram just ensure that you don't cross these lines because within these lines no harm can ever befall you and so therefore lakshmana does the best possible option in the given circumstances he draws what we call as the lakshman rekha or the line of lakshmana he draws the protective line charged with the mantra around the hermitage and then decides that he'll go in search of rama and come back to sita as fast as possible because he's sure that nothing has happened to rama uh, but to console her and he feels confident that he'll be back very soon in the meanwhile nothing much can happen to sita because there are these protective lines but he once again pleads to mother sita and tells her that whatever may happen please don't step beyond these lines because you know within the line nothing can happen to you but the lines will harm anybody else except you because you are the one they are protecting but if you cross the line then it's a problem so therefore please mother refrain from doing that and stay within the line and with that lakshmana rushes in search of his brother rama yeah, some interesting uh, facts i actually stumbled upon only today mm-hmm. This concept of Lakshman Rekha is not there in Valmiki Ramayana. Aha, okay. Actually, there there is no mention about Lakshmana actually drawing these lines and going. In fact, Valmiki goes on to say that when Ravana comes, he is actually made to sit inside the hut as all other uh, ascetics are treated. And it's interesting; it's not there in the Valmiki Ramayana at all. And even in Tulsi Ramayana, in Goswami Tulsi Das. Uh, Ram Charitra Manas even there it is not there hmm. Lakshmana drawing the lines but interestingly much later in the Yuddha Kand where there is a conversation between Mandodari and Ravana where Ravana is boasting about his valor and he is saying that you know, what can a monkey army do to me what can a recluse like Rama do to me that's when Mandodari actually refers to this episode and she tells Ravana that you could not even cross lines drawn by Rama's brother hmm. okay unless she stepped out you could not kidnap her and you are talking about your valor that that's where he actually mentions the lakshman rekha and lakshman rekha interestingly is not mentioned in the original valmiki's version of ramayana you know in fact this kind of technique where you later reveal of a, about a previous part swami also employs it because in this chapter as he is narrating he never says that uh, ravana and uh, maricha come in an aerial chariot and all that you know so when i was reading the ramkatha rasayani i began to wonder as to whether swami even you know agrees to the existence of the pushpaka vimana because everywhere else it is said that he comes in a pushpaka vimana which is an aerial chariot here swami is mentioning only chariot but uh, later on towards the last chapters when rama is returning to ayodhya he does mention the pushpaka vimana so i think it is that similar kind of technique that goswami tulsidas has also utilized there where he makes mandodari speak about the lakshman rekha but swami writes about this line that lakshmana draws and he goes and as lakshmana leaves ravana feels that this is an opportune moment and therefore he changes his guise 
you know this is another beautiful lesson i feel over here maybe i will go into that first before describing because when ravana has to kidnap sita you know we have read about and we have heard how ravana has this weakness of desire lust and therefore he has kidnapped many women in order to make them his own and i don't think he had to change his guise but when it comes to kidnapping sita he puts on the guise of a hermit the most satvik personality one can ever imagine i felt that this is another message that even good people are subject to evil because evil has the capacity to disguise and appear good as well good people often make the mistake of thinking that anyone having goodness must be noble and therefore whatever they do is also noble this episode from the ramayana warns us to be careful you beautifully said that lakshmana is the intellect when evil tries to disguise itself as good you know i got this thought because as i said last week we have spoken about that mudanali mayhem so it happens sometimes that evil approaches you in the guise of good and at that point in time one should not go by emotions one has to go by discrimination and for discrimination the intellect is a must and here when you see this episode the lord is not at home the intellect too has been disbanded and therefore evil at that point in time disguises itself because you know the goodness is so powerful that it can spot evil right away therefore you no know, even without the intellect without the lord good can spot evil but if evil disguises itself as good good becomes a victim that is what happens to sita also and therefore because sita is supreme purity and goodness ravana disguises himself as a hermit and comes to achieve his evil intentions very good point because the importance of intelligence is really put forth very strongly there because it's only when in the absence of that discriminating intelligence that even good can actually get misguided I mean putting aside that discussion of the overall plot being known to rama and sita exactly right hmm. because it has to be seen this way and again seen from a human angle right and again i'm tempted to think that had lakshmana taken sita along <laughs> <laughs> you know the the charge laid against him is that he's trying to get rid of rama I mean lakshmana could have as well said okay mother let's both go together in search of rama let's go after rama and look for him what i think is prem in the discourse where swami has said that uh, sita tells lakshmana you are eyeing me i mean when swami tells it in the discourse he says that is the thing that provoked lakshmana to leave i think at that point in time it would have sounded very bad if he had said come along with me sita let's go together possibly possibly and i think more than that even in ramkatha swami says that you know a certain kind of disgust lakshmana comes and he says i might as well go and face the wrath of rama who's going to ask me why did you not obey me than to stay here and listen to these words it's almost mm. like i can't bear to stay here and continue to listen to your words so it's almost that which pushes him away mm. and he goes in as you said again after that ravana comes and ravana is not able to cross that line as as i said manudri points out much later because the moment he tries to step across fire leaps out from those lines and he is not able to go past that and that's when he calls out to sita he says who is the mistress in this hermitage can you please come and offer me some food i am a bhikshu and uh, sita who's you know that again is probably a sign of goodness when already there is a cry is at home you still are looking at doing charity <laughs> going by the story here is sita who is wondering what's happened to her husband who who's gone and you know he's cried out in agony and pain but even in that situation if somebody comes to your door and seeks alms you have to give him that is the dharma probably that's another message which swami gives in in the course of this plot exactly if if you are in face of a difficult situation doesn't mean that you refrain from doing your good and that is how sita you know crosses the line in order to give alms and that is when she is kidnapped by ravana we'll go to that later 
Now, coming back to another lesson, what I feel over here is the Lord is not at home. I mean, you've given up the Lord, your intelligence, you have given up. Even in such situations, you know, a mantra can protect you. That is what the Lakshman Rekha signifies. It, it's a protective mantra. It's almost like the Lord is so kind and compassionate. Even if you give up on the Lord, even if you don't choose to use your intelligence, if you choose to hold on to his name, because his name itself is a mantra. I remember when Swami performed the thread ceremony for my father, there were 450 boys who got the thread ceremony done into all of their years he whispered a mantra and for my father the mantra he gave was Om Shri Sai Ram Jai Ram mm-hmm. so whenever any chanting or whatever my father keeps doing about this he keeps saying Om Shri Sai Ram Jai Ram Om Shri Sai Ram Jai Ram so if one is blessed enough to receive a mantra from the Lord or from the Guru it's good but when I looked at this mantra you know Om Shri Sai Ram Jai Ram it, no, it didn't seem to have any mantric connotation it didn't have Hreem Bream or all the different kind of sounds that a mantra seems to have it just seems like the name of the Lord that is what convinced me that the name of the Lord itself is the greatest mantra so a message which I felt here a practical message that we can take home is whatever may happen if we stay within the bounds of the mantra if we don't transgress the mantra the mantra meaning Namasmarana the Lord's name that is an ultimate final recourse at least which will help us and prevent us from falling prey to evil but once that is also crossed over then what can be saved in fact Swami puts this in another manner he gives another beautiful message linking Kama and Rama over here isn't it he says that Mother Sita of course we know that she is acting but the minute Mother Sita chose Kama meaning right. desire the golden deer Swami said that Rama leaves Sita and runs away he says I don't remember which discourse it is but I re- clearly remember him saying this Sita who is ready to give up all the comfort she could have got a thousand golden deer in the capital city of Ayodhya she gives up all that and decides to stay with Rama and she has all the peace and joy on earth because when she gives up all her Kama for the sake of Rama she gets peace and joy and when she decides to give up Rama for the sake of Kama she loses all her peace of mind all her joy everything as we shall see as the story progresses everything she loses so Swami used to say that if you choose Kama over Rama you will get only you know loss of your mental peace you will lose your peace of mind you will lose your joy you lose everything instead if you choose Rama over Kama that is over desires you will get all the peace in the world I also remember on one occasion Swami, he played on the name of the translator. Mm-hmm. You know, Professor Anil Kumar, his full name is Kamaraju Anil Kumar. So, Swami said, everyone must seek Ramaraju, meaning the King Rama. They should make Rama the King. Raju in uh, mm-hmm. Telugu also means the emperor, the king. king right. Swami said, instead of becoming Ramarajus, people are becoming Kamarajus. <laughs> and I remember Professor Anil Kumar standing beside him, he bit his tongue and made a expression that made everybody laugh. Even those who don't understand Telugu, don't understand the joke. Seeing the expression on Anil Kumar says, face everybody laughed and very humbly and very sweetly the professor translated this and he said that instead of going behind Rama and becoming Rama Rajus people go behind Kama desire and become Kama Rajus and with his hand he pointed to himself like that that was very humble and very sweet of him and I just remembered that and that is another lesson that Swami says that when you have to choose between the Lord and the world always choose the Lord because you will always get peace and joy. Right. I think the clip which you are referring to is actually the 1977 summer course where Swami made a mention of this when he said Rama became close to Sita because she had sacrificed everything of hers gave up everything and thought that Rama was the only thing which she wanted but in the Dandakaranya at the Panchavati because she began to ask for and desire the golden deer Rama became distant from her it is in this context that we say that when there is Kama or desire there cannot be Rama where there is Rama there cannot be Kama or desire 
light and darkness cannot coexist in the same place for every human being the results of his own past karma either give him happiness or give him sorrow that's the quote which 1977 samakos the third discourse yeah of course i was not even born when this discourse was given but uh, many times swami has repeated this uh, right. powerful message right in a way when you know swami is reiterating so many times that sita knew but she was just pretending her part of the role rama knew but he was acting it's almost like you know in some of our uh, i think just before we started we had a discussion ragu had with one of the members of the punjab seva organization they had this disaster management workshop which was held in in srinagar hmm. for the jammu and kashmir police it's almost like that you know when you have a disaster management workshop you have a few volunteers acting out what you could do you know as a mistake in a situation like that how you should not run when there's a fire how you should not react hmm. where they act out the mistake which generally people do and you're told that you should not do like this hmm. you know it's almost like that because swami is saying that see rama sita desired like this and so she had to part ways with rama and at the same time swami is saying that she knew what she was doing and it was a part of a role it's almost like you know rama sita and everybody coming out and acting out the mistakes which we generally tend to do in our day to day life and so me pointing out that you should not be doing this really um, no other better way to explain that because when we look at this episode of sita's kidnapping we get so many lessons for our day to day life and possibly this will be a good time to just reiterate that same as point so that it becomes easy to remember the first thing is when you choose anything over the lord you have taken the first step towards disaster so always choose the lord because see the minute desire steps in desire for anything the desire might be for money for power for a relationship for anything it might be the minute the desire becomes stronger as we can see in this episode the lord moves away and the second thing is always make use of intelligence discrimination i feel we should use the word discrimination viveka rather than intelligence because viveka the sanskrit word translates better as discrimination choosing between right and wrong right in a logical manner so you know the other messages if you let go of the lord soon viveka also will be lost that is what happens to sita because after rama going away even lakshmana goes away and with viveka being lost that is discrimination being lost you lose even the good practices i mean we can't directly use it in sita's case but if namasmarana chanting of the mantra the good practices that one does here sita transgresses that and that is why she is kidnapped by ravana so like the story swami mentions of prahlada where he gives up character and everything leaves him he becomes bereft of everything because swami says when character is lost everything is lost i think deeper than that more fundamental than that is when the lord is lost everything is lost because with the lord goes away discrimination with discrimination goes away good practices when good practices is lost you come into the grips of here ravana symbolizes kama desire and lust so you get into the grips of the arshad varga that is kama krodha lobha moha madha matsarya so therefore chanting the lord's name discriminating between right and wrong and always living with the lord is the best way to lead one's life otherwise you are lost to the forces of ravana you know there are some versions of the ramayana where ravana is glorified a lot you know where his journey is he's made the focus of that entire story and how he was such an important figure in this entire thing that you know lord vishnu had to incarnate in order to put an end to his life where one of the things was the daughter of bhumata here goddess lakshmi incarnates as mother sita who is the daughter of bhumata mm-hmm. and another incarnation of that is a character called vedavati which is actually a character which is mentioned in the earlier puranas and there is a similar thing where ravana goes and tries to abduct this lady by name vedavati mm-hmm. and at that moment you know vedavati is portrayed as a woman who's who's doing penance to win the hand of lord vishnu 
and when she's doing penance in a forest where Ravana goes and he, he sees that there is this lady who's doing penance and he's attracted by her beauty and tries to abduct her. At that moment when Ravana catches hold of Vedavati's hair, she with her hand, she chops off her hair. You know, that's the story. And she says that, no, you're trying to catch hold of me. I am meant to be an offering at the feet of the Lord. Okay, and she self-immolates herself and she says that, don't worry Ravana, I will take revenge for this. I will come back again. And in that birth, when you come and try to abduct me, my master will come after you and finish you and your entire clan. Mm. Okay, and this is actually a curse which Vedavati gives and she then self-immolates herself. And the story goes, as you said, that Ravana goes around and he's abducted a lot of women because of this desire. The story, according to you know these versions, goes that Ravana is actually in search of that woman who is reincarnated Hmm. because he realizes that his redemption lies in the hands of this woman's husband. Hmm. So he goes around catching a lot of women and a lot of them actually yield to him because they are scared. You know, here is this mighty Rakshasa. But when he comes in the form of this recluse and he, you know, manages to convince Sita to come out of that hermitage to give him arms because Sita says that I cannot come out and then he pleads, he says that I am very, very hungry. I have taken a vow that I will not go close to any hermitage so you will have to come out and give me. You know, that's the argument which Ravana puts forth according to Ramakatha Swami. Hmm. And when she comes out, he catches hold of Mother Sita. By the hair. Actually, Swami says by the hand actually. Okay. But this version says that by the hair. The moment Ravana catches hold of Sita by the hair, Sita says that you you better don't do this silly thing because my husband will come after you and he'll finish you and your entire clan. And the moment Ravana hears this, it seems he's delighted. He says, yeah, finally I caught you. (laughs) You know how many I've been searching for you. Finally I've caught you. And he says, definitely I'm taking you back to my kingdom. Because that way, not only will Rama kill me, but he will come and give redemption to my entire clan. Very interesting. uh, Because, uh, you know, it shows that the same story through the eyes of the different characters in the story will appear different. And I feel in our life experiences also, whenever we hear or see anything, let us remember that there's always another side to the same story. If viewed in the other man's shoes and in the other person's perspective, it might vary, it might differ. That will help us to be more tolerant, more accepting towards everyone. As Ravana grabs hold of Sita and drags her towards the Pushpaka Vimana, Sita now shouts out to Lakshmana and Rama. You know, she shouts out to them for saving her. She shouts out to her lord, her master, which is Rama. But, you know, again, again, a divergent thought over here. Sita is struggling in Ravana's grasp and we read in the same Ramkatha Rasavahini as to how the Sita had single-handedly uh, lifted the bow of uh, Lord Shiva, right. which only Rama could achieve. And uh, with one hand, she had lifted it. So Sita is so, so, so powerful. And yet, she appears to be controlled by a person, you know, like Ravana, by an evil man, she's being controlled. This once again proves that it's only a drama that is being played. And it highlights that, you know, when you know that a person is so powerful and yet seems to have got tamed by Ravana. So while this is what appears on the story front, again, when we go deeper, there's so much of message, you know, coming back to that point where we said Rama is Purusha, the Lord. And Sita is Prakriti, nature. It will appear as if, you know, man is able to bend nature for his own evil designs. That is what we are doing today. We are harming nature for our selfish self-interest. We are being ruthless on nature and it appears as if nature is helpless. As we deplete the population of animals, it looks like the animal kingdom has no reply to man. We wipe out rainforests. We are changing weather patterns, weather cycles. 
आई फील वी आर सिम्बॉलिकली एंड इन आर ओन वे बिकमिंग अ रावणा टूवर्ड सीता विच इज प्रकृति विच इज मदर नेचर लेट इज नॉट बी फूलिश टू थिंक दैट वी आर इन चार्ज एंड वी कैन कंट्रोल मदर नेचर इट इज जस्ट दैट मदर नेचर इज प्लेइंग द ड्रामा एज ऑर्डेन्ड बाय द पुरुषा और द लॉर्ड बिकॉज मदर नेचर इज एज पावरफुल एज द लॉर्ड इट इज ओनली द लॉर्ड कंपैशन एंड लव दैट शी डजेंट शो हर पावर एंड प्रेम हैवेंट वी सीन ऑन दोज रेयर ओकेजन वेन मदर नेचर डिसाइड्स टू शो हर पावर बी इट थ्रू अ टाइफून अ वॉल्केनो अ स्टॉम अ टोर्नेडो अर्थक्वेक वॉट एवर हाउ हेल्पलेस मिनिस्क्यूल एंड absolutely powerless anything or anyone is so i feel this is another powerful message that man often harms and you know molests that is exactly the thing that is happening here ravana is trying to molest sita man molests nature thinking that nature is under his control and he can exploit nature just because he is enamored by nature i think uh, it would be pertinent to you know read a particular clip from a discourse unfortunately we couldn't find the clip we have other discourses which swami gave during that samukos the 1973 samukos it's the 26th chapter people who have the summer showers book of 1973 can refer to that the chapter's name itself is do not exploit nature without seeking the grace of god hmm. and the opening part of the chapter swami actually you know draws this beautiful parallel between this very episode we've been talking about and man's desire to exploit nature probably we could read that entire chapter we quote from there prakriti has no beginning she is timeless she cannot survive without the company of the purusha she can be compared to a pious wife her beauty is beyond all description her strength is enormous she can push anyone into the confusion of a family when one forgets god she can cause trouble even to great people prakriti has been communicating a lesson to us that there can be no pot without the mud there can be no ornament without gold there can be no cloth without the yarn and there can be no world without brahman it is erroneous to separate prakriti from paramatma and regard them as distinct and worship nature alone we should not be subservient to nature but make it subservient to us nature is not anybody's property it is not even the property of all the people put together nature belongs to god wow that is a very very powerful statement uh, before we discuss i shall continue what is written there swami says therefore if you want to keep nature under control you will have to do so only after earning god's grace if after acquiring god's grace you undertake to conquer nature it will herself yield to you today by neglecting and forgetting the lord and believing that nature is the only thing that is important we are attempting to use nature unsuccessfully for selfish purposes for understanding the situation the ramayana provides the best illustration ravana had all the powers and he performed many yagas and yagnas he knew all branches of knowledge and was a very able person in spite of all these abilities he did not care for rama the lord but wanted sita pursuing this desire he lost his kingdom his people and himself in the end sita is born of the earth and is the child of the earth rama is the lord born on earth as an avatar and he took sita as his spouse there is no point in anyone thinking that he can get sita without the knowledge and permission of rama this is like wanting to exploit nature or prakriti without the grace and consent of the lord or purusha no, it's very very beautiful in fact uh, i think uh, this same point we were discussing partially in the last satsang when sai prakash was making a mention about a certain uh, interpretation of some verses in the bhagavad gita where i think madhvachari has very clearly and very beautifully he said you know why do we have this 
imagery of Lord Vishnu having and Mother Lakshmi sitting at his feet and serving him. It's a clear explanation that you know all the wealth of the world. You know here it is referred to as prakriti, as nature, the bountiful nature. Everything is serving the Lord at his feet. What is the point in running after Lakshmi? You know Lakshmi will not be even interested in you if you are trying to worship her and you are trying to please her. But please the Lord and automatically this mother goddess who serves the Lord will come along with him. You know that is the beautiful imagery which Sanatan Dharma gives us and it's precisely what Swami is saying that this entire episode is meant to understand that that here is somebody who is like Ravana who is who has had a lust towards nature without trying to remove you know Purusha from the picture and trying to abduct nature and we are going to see what is the fate which befalls him. And I think the one statement which hit me very hard was nature is not anybody's property it is not even the property of all all the people put together. Right. Just because, you know, let us say the leaders of America, UK, India, China, Germany, all powerful nations come together and decide that this is good for us, this is what we will do. Even then, they have no right to exploit nature. That is what Swami states over here. Because this is happening, you know, even as we speak, Africa is being exploited. The game reserves are being used for hunting. There are bounty hunters. There are people hunting animals and nature is being wiped out. In fact, the other day I saw one crazy news item. You know, it said that one of the game reserves is going to open up hunting of lions so that the funds that they get from that will be used for lion conservation. Oh my God. You know, this is so crazy. And this is... The perversion of the human mind. Yes, this is how the perversion of human mind works. And what Swami states here is so important. See, today we are having countries opposed to this. We are having people opposing this. What Swami says is that even if people don't oppose, even if all of them come together and decide that we should destroy, it is not your decision to make. And Swami warns saying that don't think nature is weak and powerless. She will appear because she is under the Lord and she is just waiting. She will not move an eyelash till the Lord signals. But once the Lord signals and she decides to move and take things into her hand, puny humans, nobody will be able to stand her might. You know, in our Sanatana Dharma scriptures, such an onslaught by nature when it is said that when things go haywire completely, nature decides to take its course and that has been called as pralaya. Pralaya meaning the mass destruction of everything. You know, it's like a reset button on the computer where it just shuts down whatever is happening right now and you begin afresh from scratch. So, I don't think we should continue in this exploitative manner and force the pushing of the reset button (laughs) very soon. It's a very beautiful thing, in fact, because nowadays we have discussion in the international uh, forums where, where, you know, these religions, these communities, these cultures, which which used to worship nature, you know, it was always spoken of as a pagan uh, mm. approach, where, you know, it comes out of the fact that these were people who did not have enough control over nature, because of which they had fear of nature and because of which they worshipped nature. But now if you look at it, you know, the way Swami has written the Ramayana and Swami is bringing out these lessons, clearly it is not really a fear. You know, you don't fear your mother. When you talk of nature as mother and you talk of God as Purusha and as father, you don't fear your mother, but you still have love and you have a worshipful respect for your mother. I mean, probably in the back of your mind, you know the power of nature, you know the wrath of nature, but it is not because of that knowledge that you worship and you, you know, you love nature. And really, it is most necessary to look at nature as a mother. And I think whatever we talk about sustainability and sustainable progress, never ever, I think in any of these scriptures, there is a mention that you should not take from 
from nature. You know, there's never the thing of you should not receive from nature, but always with that reverence, with that like how a child receives from a mother. You're not course of receiving does not uh, make the mother barren. You know, it's not like that. You know, that is what is the most essential thing, and very, very beautifully and succinctly put in this discourse by Swami. And you know, Ravana is given a hint also of the same because even as he's kidnapping Sita and abducting her. Swami says that the leaves and flowers and other blossoms in the forest, they begin to wither away when she cries. You know, it is a direct correlation with nature. And what happens is the king of eagles that we spoke about, Jatayu, and we had also spoken about how he is a good friend of Dasharatha and he is now aged. But all said and done, he hears the cries of Mother Sita and Jatayu comes flying by. And even as Ravana has taken off in the aerial chariot, he shouts out and says, Oh Ravana, don't be so foolish. You know, what you are attempting is an invitation to your own doom. He tries to shower Ravana with wisdom as to the folly that he is committing. But Ravana is not listening. And when Ravana doesn't listen, Jatayu assures Mother Sita saying that, You don't worry, I will help you, I will protect you. And then Jatayu begins a formidable attack on Ravana. Begins to tear his flesh and you know, bite him with... Though it's an aged eagle, it is doing its very best. Again, this is symbolic of how there are warnings given from nature and from others. Here it's a bird that is coming and fighting for Mother Sita. I mean, it should definitely have been looked upon as an omen by Ravana. As you're trying to do something, you have a bird. When even the mightiest of Danavas, Rakshasas don't dream of attacking you, here you have a bird that's coming and making an onslaught on you. Isn't that a omen to consider? But Ravana is blind in his lust and therefore a battle ensues. And in the battle, Ravana chops away the wings of Jatayu and the eagle calling out to the name of Rama falls to the ground. And uh, this is the episode that takes place. But Jatayu doesn't give up his life as yet. He decides to stay alive as long as he can pass uh, on this information to to Rama. Rama. I think that's the beautiful thing because even when he's dying, you know, he probably could have tried harder. But the moment he realizes that this effort is futile, might as well conserve his energy and ensure that he's he's alive till Rama comes by and he can pass on this information. I think maybe because he's also recognized who this person is who is, you know, taking Mother Sita away. Mm. And that's why, of course, after this, the meeting of Jatayu and Rama is again a beautiful episode where the Lord and the devotee commune. We'll come to that probably next week. I think we'll have to conclude our Ramakatha with this episode. This again, as we said, it's such a very beautiful, like many other episodes in the Ramayana, this is such a very profound episode. We're so fortunate that we could stumble upon that discourse where Swami beautifully explained how this is actually the insult which is done against nature and how that cannot be accepted and how the Lord will react. So dear listeners, thank you for being with us. We'll continue with the Ramayana next week too. Any questions, any suggestions, any feedback, as always you can write to us at listener at radiosci.org. We will definitely read your feedback with all eagerness and whichever is necessary and whatever is possible we shall incorporate into our next satsang. Uh, Hope you enjoyed this as much as we did. We offer our humble salutations once again to our beloved Sai Rama and to Hanuman who is present here listening to the Ramkatha. We will leave you with this little song. Thank you. Jai Sai Ram. Rama Kodanda Rama Rama Kalyana Rama Rama Patavi Rama 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 
episode of our radio program afternoon satsang this was a segment of radio sai's thursday live hosted by prem and arvind at 12:30 pm indian standard time on thursdays only on asia stream of radio sai global harmony the discussion was on the ramakatha rasavahini a book written by swami and today's episode was first broadcast live on 20th august 2015 Dear listeners, we hope you like this program. As always, send us your feedback to listener@radiosai.org. Thank you and loving Sairam from Prashanthi Nilayam.